Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Morgan, Jackson, Shellstad, they're going to have to be on their game to beat Arizona at home. Uh, that's going to be a big one. Uh, John Strong, formerly of this radio show. You can catch him on Fox calling soccer, the World Cup. He is, uh, you know, big time now. He's, you know, the voice of American soccer. But I want to bring John Strong on, not to uh, discern, you know, if the belly aching about broadcasters is good or bad, but maybe just to give us some insight for the rest of us who have not called play-by-play on a major national event of how tricky that is. What goes into a good broadcast crew? The chemistry. Um, I happen to really like Tony Romo. I really like what Romo brings to the broadcast. I feel like he's in the living room with me. Some people hate him. I happen to like Bill Walton. Other people hate him. I, I like Jim Nance, but I don't like Jim Nance with Tony Romo. I think Jim Nance is be- much better when he's on golf or he's on something by himself. I don't. I don't really understand why. I just know what I like. But John Strong is going to help us understand what it is to be a broadcaster in that situation. He's called the World Cup. He's been on the big stage, and now he's joining us. Strong, how you doing, man? I'm just happy we got these darn kids back in school today after Thank last you. week's nonsense. So everything else is gravy. Let's hear about that. I told Anna yesterday, I said, you know, we might get some freezing rain overnight, and her eyes got really big. I said, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, that was mean school. of you. That was, that was poor form. It was poor form. Help us understand. Just talk from a 20,000-foot view about broadcasting. And, you know, you've been part of crews that, you know, you had great synergy and others maybe you had to work harder at it. What goes into a good broadcast team? I mean, part of it is what you said at the end there. I can't really explain it, but I know I like it or I know I don't like it. This is such a subjective thing. And, you know, it is. It's like music. It's like movies. You could put 100 people in a room and you could get 100 different oftentimes very passionate opinions about Jim Nance or Tony Romo or Joe Buck. Think about the amount of negativity he's received over the years from people or any, any announcer, particularly when you get to this very top, top, top level that these guys are at on, on a lead NFL network telecast and you're getting, you know, for a playoff game. I mean, I'm, I'm expecting them to get well more than $40 million, uh, for that game yesterday on CBS. And it's hard to really pin this down sometimes. The the other issue has been not just social media, but you have this cottage industry that's developed over the last five, ten years of sports media critics, websites like Awful Announcing, that just sort of have amplified this conversation. And, you know, what I don't want to do and what I don't like to do is sort of sit here and go, well, unless any of you people have worked in the business, you don't know what you're talking about, because that's the same logic that unless you've played in the NFL, you're not able to talk about the NFL. I, I hate that sort of logic. I think that's garbage. So everyone has a right to that opinion. I think part of it is understanding off the front there is no objective right way to do it. There's no objective wrong way to do it. There's a variety of different styles, and I think certainly when you have, and this is, you know, when you and I were texting about this today, I think Tony Rome was a great example, along with a Bill Walton, along with a Dick Vitale, along with a John Madden at one point, where 
when you are doing things in a different way and when you do have a different personality and you are your very authentic self in a way that Tony Romo is, that's going to really be jarring to people in an art form, in a medium that has oftentimes, I think, sort of regressed towards the mean. You know, it's the easy, and I, and I can, I've fallen in all these different traps. But one of the traps I've fallen in is you're trying to be so safe that you end up just being very bland. And that's, that's not what Tony Romo is. And so, you know, I, I roll my eyes at a lot of the criticism and a lot of people's opinions of it. But by the same token, it's also like, you know, we are never more emotional uh, as Americans outside of maybe politics as when we're watching a big-time NFL game. We're just in an emotionally raw state. And so anything that person says or doesn't say is going to elicit a big response. Let me ask you, because you've been paired with different people over the years, how long does it take to get synergy? Or, you know, maybe if you don't have natural chemistry with another broadcaster, you know, can you fake it? And, you know, what goes into that? I mean, you can definitely fake it. There are great examples of very well-known high-profile booth partnerships that either just don't really get along much, don't really hang out. There's plenty of examples of, of dudes that just despise each other. Like, it's funny how many baseball in particular, local baseball, for some reason, has had wonderful uh, examples over the years of guys that just can't stand each other. But they kind of fake it when they're on the air. Honestly, the, the best and worst comparison is it's like a marriage. A lot of marriages look great on the surface and are terrible. Uh, down at the roots. A lot of marriages are really strong and healthy, and even sometimes you can butt heads, but you still love each other. And, you know, I'm very, very blessed to have a partner in Stu Holden that our wives joke about how it is kind of like a marriage, the two of us, and how tight we are, how close we are, how often we talk, and our ability to read each other's subtleties in tone or in body language, um, or sometimes our ability to kind of really annoy the other one for a brief amount of time, but then recover out of it. Yeah. It's hard because you can maybe it takes time, but sometimes it's just personality matching. I, I do think it's one of the things that's really interesting about the four network lead NFL crews because you have on the one end of the spectrum a, a Joe Buck and a Troy Aikman. These dudes have been at it for a quarter century, and, and they are, I think, the prime example of just kind of like Stu and I, they are so in sync. They are so together. It is, it's a really wonderful synergy between the two of them. Then you have at Fox, at my network, Kevin Burkhardt and Greg Olson, both somewhat new. Kevin Burkhardt hadn't done a ton of NFL. Uh, Greg Olson obviously just off the playing field, and they were kind of thrown into one of them, uh, you know, thrown into this together. And then you have at CBS and at NBC examples of where, you know, Jim Nance and Phil Simms had a really long partnership, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you don't just have a new partner, you've got a very different partner in Tony Romo. And the same was kind of true with Al Michaels and, and Mike Tirico, either side of Chris Collinsworth. It can take a lot of time, and, you know, it's, this is where the subjectivity comes into play. Because I can hear things in all of those guys. I can hear things Tony Romo does that I can tell he's been told by a producer or network, network executive, oh, I loved when you did that. And yeah. so he sort of goes back to that well a lot. It's a really nerdy inside thing. But I think all of us, kind of like players, you know, you, you, if you find something that works, you're going to keep doing it over and over, and you're going to lean back on that in those big moments where you know every word is being parsed, and there's millions of people watching, and you really, really 
not just you don't want to screw up, but you really want to match the moment, uh, and that's hard to do. Yeah, I like when Romo, right before the snap, will go. They're bringing these, those two guys in the middle. He's going to have the deep middle open, and the quarterback throws the ball into the deep middle, and he doesn't go, I told you so, we all just know it. Like, he called it, and he's the quarterback in that situation. But you hit on something else there. How much help are these guys getting? How much coaching are they getting? Who's in their ear? Help us with that. It, it's difficult for me to say only because the NFL is a different beast from a broadcasting standpoint, even from what I've done. And what my experience, even at the World Cup final, and, and it's a really nerdy explanation as to why, couldn't be more different. What I would say is my observation and impressive uh, impressions is these guys are actually getting a lot less coaching than you might think. Um, particularly at that level, there's sometimes a hesitancy, and, and I'm quoting interviews that some of the top network guys have given over the years where they kind of say, like, I wish I got more coaching and feedback, particularly ex-players who are used to, in the NFL's case, on a Monday morning, like it's kind of laid bare on the tape. Either you made the throw or you didn't, and either you won or you lost, and there's no ambiguity there. And it is, it is tough sometimes to get, you know, it's like uh, movie stars or something like that, where you want, oh, you were great, you were fantastic, like don't upset the star. And so I would say more often than not, as much as a lot of these broadcasts, you'll have long production meetings, you'll talk throughout the week, you, you really want to be buttoned up on certain moments of where you're going and what you're doing, there's also sometimes less feedback and coaching in this than people might expect. And you sometimes, and I can speak from my experience, you kind of have to press a little bit and rattle cages a little bit to be like, okay, what didn't you like? What are you concerned about? What can I do better? Because there is... And understand, there's a lot of market research. There's audience surveys. We were part of that. Our soccer group a couple of years ago was like our year. And they presented us with, for lack of a better way of phrasing it, it was kind of like a likability rating with a lot of audience research. So there's definitely that part of it. But there's also sometimes just the subjectivity of a certain boss and a certain hiring executive being like, I really like that person's voice. I really don't like that person's voice. So um, yeah, it, it's a funny business sometimes in actually why things happen in certain ways. And you don't want to necessarily say, oh, these guys are winging it because they've got people in the booth, they've got producers, they've got the best of their best around them. But more than you might think sometimes, it is kind of a, hey, you know, we don't want to get in this guy's head. We don't want to get in his way. We kind of want to let Tony Romo or Bill Walton or Dick Vitale just kind of be who they are. John Strong with us. He is the lead play-by-play voice for soccer on Fox. Uh, Strong, um, there was a point of the broadcast with the Chiefs and the Bills where Romo says, uh, you know, I want to look at this, stop it right there. Whoever was in the truck did not stop it because they knew there was an extra point to be kicked, and they just kind of blew through the stop sign. And it was kind of a funny moment where you could just see, like, you know, we'd love to let you do this here, but we don't have time for this, Tony. And they kind of moved on. Um, You know, Give me an example, too, you know, for yourself when you're calling a game and, you know, you feel yourself playing it safe. Do you have to kind of course correct in the middle of a game and go, like, are you aware, hey, I'm not having my one of my better broadcasts? Can you regroup like a, like a team regroups at halftime? It, the best, yes, can. And I can absolutely think of examples of where either physically or mentally I'm like, oh, boy, I, I don't have my fastball today. What do I do? You know, I – Again, trying to condense the story, I got really, really, really sick at the tail end of the Men's World Cup in Qatar a little over a year ago. 
and I was limping through some of those games in the quarterfinal and the semifinal rounds, and I hit it well, even from my wife, but I was definitely early on like, okay, I don't have my best stuff today, so I kind of have to make that work. Other times, I can think of situations where, again, it's like a player, and we always say to players, you've got to have a short memory, you've got to forget that one, don't let one mistake turn into two. I can think of games that I've called, one in particular, where I made a mistake, I blew it, and I dwelled on it, and I got in my own head, and I was really poor the rest of the game, as compared to, in more recent years, you try to eliminate the first mistake in the first place, but... You, you are getting better, ideally, with experience and comfort at being able to forget it and move on. And, you know, the, the dynamic of what you've talked about there with the truck, it's, you know, the NFL is a different rhythm than other sports because it is a very regimented rhythm, as I learned a couple times when I did two college football games in 2019, of you have the play and then you have the replay and then maybe something pre-snap and then play and then replay, and you kind of get in that mode. Um, but it can move pretty quick, and it can be hard sometimes to nail down exactly what you want to do in the moment. That's why sometimes you'll see they'll come back from a commercial break. Hey, look at this better replay angle we now have on this stuff. I mean, we operate in a world in soccer where it's a world feed. We don't control the pictures. We don't know what replay's coming, so we're reacting to everything. We have no way like we would if it was a Fox-controlled game like the NFL guys have where you could, and it's something that a Chris Collinsworth is, is a master at, as the play is happening, he's calling for a specific replay angle, and they cue that up, which is incredible, the dance that they do, so that Collinsworth knows exactly what's coming because he's, he's requested it, and he can make that point. That's really, really high-level stuff that the best in the business are, are really remarkable at. What do you like? I'm curious, as a, you know, as a listener or viewer, I, I like Walton. I like Romo. Sometimes, um, you know, passion Walton work for me because Pash gets out of his way. But what do you like? What's pleasant to you as a broadcaster when you're watching an NFL game or an NBA game or whatever? You know, it's, it's tough because this was easier to say when, when these guys were at my network. I really do like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. I like their synergy. I like how they can bust each other's chops in moments. I like how in sync they are in big moments. I love how Joe Buck calls a game. I've actually learned a lot from him. Well, I've only once very briefly met him, had interaction with him. But, you know, a couple of years ago when he came out with his book and he was very honest about the insecurities that he faced and the challenges and different things and how he learned it involved as a person in addition to a broadcaster, I learned a ton from that. So I really respect him a lot as a person from what I've heard from him. And he just has one of the one of the fundamental concepts that we hear a lot of at Fox and I'm sure as other networks is can you make the game can you make the moment feel big and it's like well, what does that even mean how do you define that let alone how do you do that and no one really has an answer but like you said at the beginning you know when you hear it and that's something I focus on really intensely and it's something I think that Joe Buck is excellent at but historically I would say my favorites Keith Jackson, Al Michaels, Dick Enberg. I, I, I listen a lot to old Pat Summerall stuff, try to learn from him. But kind of like you said with Romo, I think the best to do it, do it in such a way that it's like you're, you're bellying up to the bar and you're sitting on bar stools and the two announcers are sitting right next to you. And they're just kind of chatting with you during the game. It, you're just not saying anything. And that familiarity, that conversational tone, 
that's kind of the the magic that if if you can find a way to nail it, I, I think is a really special, fun thing. And like I said, that's something that, that Stu and I focus a ton on. How can we make the moment feel big? How can we feel like we're sitting on the living room couch? But how can we not, in doing those things, get in the way of why people have tuned in, which is not to listen to us, it's to watch the game. Now, your Denver Broncos are not part of these playoffs anymore. Hey, and, I was I was not told know. this was going to be part of it. I did not agree to discuss the Broncos <laughs> on this. All right? I want to know, who's your quarterback next season? Who who do you ride or die with? Uh, probably not the dude that was in the last two games. Bless his heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's my honest deal. Um, right. I would love, love, love to see Bo Nix in there. I actually think Bo Nix could be good. Because I think it's kind of that Brock Purdy-esque. Yeah. Have a guy back there that can make good decisions, distribute the ball, because they do have some pieces. I would also love Michael Penix, just because I'm a huge fan yeah. of his. So, you know, what I have always wanted from a Denver Broncos standpoint is I, I would l- love to have either a duck or someone I'm familiar with from the Pac-12 rest in yeah. peace. So th- those are two dudes. But listen, it's not going to be Russ. But if it is Russ, hey, let's, let's do it and let's find a way. I just don't know if that's tenable anymore after all that's been done and said. Like, you know, it's like kind of like that ship has sailed and and it's it's disappeared in the horizon. So I'll I, I like your question. Yeah. It, it's it's not tenable. It's done. Right. The whole the, yeah. the, the whole pretense of well we'll see, I think was a ruse. But it's yeah. a bummer because you know we had high hopes and I Russell Wilson. I one time shared a booth with him. He came on with us for. I mean, oh, couldn't wow. have been nicer or more pleasant. So I, I wanted to see him succeed because I think he's a good dude. It's, it's a bummer it didn't work. He did succeed. He's rich beyond his wildest dreams. He's got 14 <laughs> bathrooms. Stop feeling sorry for him. Hey, right. but I, I, the, the way that these, these men and women at that level are wired, all the yeah. money in the world's great. They're winners. They want to win. It's not about the paycheck as much as we might think that. John Strong, you're a winner, all right? I got to go to commercial break, but thank you for sharing your expertise. You made all of us smarter today. And hopefully didn't get in trouble. See you, bud. All right. There he goes, John Strong on Fox. You think the Fox bosses would be mad at anything he said, Stephen? I don't think so. No, I think, he, he, I think he's, on, he's on track there. I think he towed the line. But, you know, but I told him, I said, I, I don't want to know, like, you know, who you think sucks or whatever, but talk to us about the business. Help us understand what's going on and – What's happening in Tony Romo's ear, and I think part of the problem with Romo and Nance is that there's ego, and Nance is a center stage guy, and Romo's a center stage guy, and you can't have Abbott and Abbott. It has to be Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy. You can't have Laurel and Laurel. It doesn't work, and so I think that's the bigger problem with that pairing, and I think it's why Bill Walton and Dave Pash work. Pash gets out of the way. Nance is not getting out of the way. It's not in his nature. It's not what he's supposed to do. Our big splash is coming up. I have several objectives with this radio show. I have for 17 years or however long we've done it. One of them is, you know, I, I, I want to make you smile. I want to make you laugh. I want to I want to entertain you. I want to inform you. Uh, I want to take you places you can't go otherwise. Um, you can go places on this show that no other radio show will take you. I want that for you. Uh, and I want to make you smarter. I want to go inside baseball. I want to tell you how the sausage is made. And I love that interview with John Strong, voice of American soccer, Fox lead soccer broadcaster. Uh, got his start on this radio show in the very seat that Stephen Vaughn is sitting in. So, Stephen, one day we will have you on the show. 
you'll tell us all about um, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. Yeah, no uh, no expectations for me at all. So yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, what would you think of what he said? And, and by the way, where do you stand on Romo and Nance? You know, I don't I don't have a problem with Romo and Nance. I think um I think it, Here's my take on a lot of announcers though, John. I don't have a problem with really any of them, and I think the reason I don't is cuz I don't have like a favorite team that I feel like they're out against. <laughs> so like I, I don't know that there's ever really been a broadcast where I'm watching a sporting event and I'm like, you know what? These broadcasters are really ruining this sporting event for me. Like, I, there's never been that situation. So for me, like, I like I like announcers when they, as John Strong said, that how they lay out and they let the moment feel bigger than it actually is. And yeah. that's by when the crowd is going insane. And I like to hear the crowd noise. And then them adding just a little bit. I thought Nance called the missed field goal by Tyler Bass was really good. And then the fact that he threw out wide right again, you know, that's the worst words or whatever a Buffalo Bills fans can hear. Like, I, I love that kind of stuff just off the cuff. I don't like, you know, the prepackaged stuff that I feel like people have thought about for weeks and weeks. They're like, I need to say this line. It's going to be really good. I want it to be natural. I want it to be talkative, talkative. But I'll be, like, I'll be honest, I don't really have a problem with any announcers that I can think of in the NFL. Now, there's more, there's some that I like more than others. Uh, with Nance and Romo, I definitely don't have a problem with them. I think Romo's over the top sometimes, but I think he also just gets really excited because he loves to watch football, and that's yeah. just kind of how fans. I don't are, mind so. that, and so yeah. I like that. I like that part about him. The the kind of analyst I don't like is the analyst who sits back and doesn't say anything, and just tells us the the broadcasters who repeat what they see on the screen. I can already see it. Tell me something I can't see. Take me somewhere I can't go. Just like I want to take people on this radio show. That of course brings us to our big splash. It's confusing to me, but it's splashy. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Oh, I'm excited about Killer Burger. Uh, Nick Dunlap, University of Alabama sophomore, on Sunday became the first amateur to win on the PGA Tour in more than three decades. Life-changing 24 hours. He had to forfeit, though, the $1.5 million winner's purse and the 500 FedEx Cup points that came along with his win. He's only 20. Now, he's got to decide whether he goes back to Alabama for the remainder of his second college season or if he joins the PGA Tour as a full-time member. Here's my question. I got my hand up here for golf and the NIL people and the NCAA. How can a college quarterback like Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, how can a college player get a million-dollar seven-figure endorsement deal, an NIL deal, but a golfer? Can't collect the $1.5 million winner's purse? I get it. It makes him a pro, but where's the line here? Why does Dunlap have to forfeit the prize to keep his eligibility, but a college quarterback can take the money and keep his eligibility? Makes no sense to me. K.L. Wambacher's coming up. Hillsborough Hops general manager. Be here for it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltimore. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.